Ms. Marvel, Disney Villainous, and Crescent Moon. This is staying in. Gents, love the podcast. Although I feel there is a segment you started, but need to continue. Ooh, we're getting some we're getting some critical feedback. I'm quite I'm quite a fan of this. Let's go. This is a message from Ben on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Hi, Ben. ben. Uh, you can slide into our DMs anytime. I don't think that means what you think it means. Yeah, I think that's all right. But we got this message. So Ben says, "Gents, love the podcast. Thanks very much." Although I feel there is a segment you started but need to continue now. Mm. Mm. We've not really been known for segments in the past, so <laughs> <laughs> we did a couple of weeks of Ask Dan. Yeah, Ask Dan was good. I I also quite liked Lisa's funny stories. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good one. The 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 segment last last show where you all did the outro mm-hmm. um, was really good. We got some good we got some good critical feedback about that. Maybe there's maybe that's what they're talking about. So I'll read on further. Oh, okay. Really stringing this out. Perhaps my favourite ever staying in moment was when Peter started an in-depth relationship. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's always going to be in-depth, whatever Pete does. I, was I know, yeah. I love the fact that Peter can't work out <laughs> where, <laughs> what this relationship was or how it involves him. Perhaps my favourite ever staying in pod moment was when Peter started up an in-depth relationship with the British Egg Council. Ah, oh yes. my word, ah, that, that was, was Sarah. Was yeah, it Sarah? Sarah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. this was episode what, Chris? It was episode 110 and yep. 1111. It was a two parter saga. A two parter saga, yeah. I actually, ironically, listened to this the other day. It just came onto my Spotify. And Pete talking about his boilies. His yep. boilies. <laughs> so, so, okay. So, what Ben is asking for is for us to do a monthly consumer advocacy section led by Peter, in which mm-hmm. Peter quizzes regulatory boards about how we should use products and that would be incredible, says Ben. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. want to hear him get to the bottom of important topics such as... Go on. Pre-grated Parmesan. Ooh. Can you paint your own zebra crossing outside your house? Hmm. Biscuits hmm. in summer. Let them melt or put them in the fridge. Keep up the good work, Ben. Well, thanks, Ben. Ben. Ben, thank um, you. I amazing. think uh, this is a good idea. Okay. Well, first off, it's monthly, so we don't have to do it every show. I was going to say that, yeah. So, it, or that, or Ben doesn't realise there's there's like fifty odd podcasts that he hasn't seen. Oh, yet. I think I think I think Ben realises. I think Ben's just like, I'd like to see it come back, but not all the time, eh? Come on, <laughs> yes. let's, let's not look about. Yeah. Um, Too much of a good thing. <laughs> yeah. The the one there that got me was zebra crossings and whether or not you could paint one outside of your own home or, or, or like ad hoc. Are there some sort of rules of the road there that are. you can essentially... Yeah. Is, is there some yeah. kind of code or some kind of, yeah, some kind of code for highways or something? I quite like that as an idea. Like, are there, are there, what can we do around making our community safe? I quite like that as an idea. I, like, I think we're on to something there, but what shall I go and investigate? By harassing <laughs> like poor, like... poor PR people. I, I love the I love the fact that you've turned this into Peter Willington investigates rather than just <laughs> rather than a discussion piece for a podcast. <laughs> so I think basically what I, I think this is a very good idea. Let's turn this into a saga. I would like listeners to email us stayinginpod at gmail dot com. Or DM or us on Instagram. Slide into our DMs. Yeah, slide into all that our sort DMs. of stuff. And ask us to go and investigate something. Uh, uh, Peter Investigates is going to be the name of the new section. <laughs> and I'm going to... I will not rest until I have uncovered the nation's, and indeed the global population's, greatest questions. That, and, and I will... I, I will talk. I, I don't get me wrong. I will talk to government agencies, such as the Egg Council, if needs be. I can go back to Sarah. If I if I need to talk to Highway Code about roadworks, I can do it. 
So there's a, a, a news story that's come out today that I thought was really interesting. So I, I, I made the mistake of going onto Twitter, onto Twitter today, and I've seen that uh, there's a, a new Marvel TV show. I think we mentioned it the other day, Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel. Yes. Ms. Marvel. Mm-hmm. Um, very much based on the Ms. Marvel of like the 2006, 2007, that sort of era. The, 2013. The, 2013. 2014. Was it really? Oh my goodness me. <laughs> yeah. Kamala Khan, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Kamala Khan, uh, Ms. Marvel. Um, Now, I've read the first first book, the first graphic novel collection of those, and I thought Mm -hmm. it was pretty good, actually. I I quite quite liked it. I didn't... I didn't go further with it, um, just because I wasn't particularly just looking for that kind of a, a story, as in uh, the the high school story kind of a thing. I just wasn't that. I just wasn't that that bothered about it. But I did really like the art. I love the characters. I love the writing. I thought it was really well put together. This new TV series has come out, and it looks like maybe it's bombed. Like it's had it's had the lowest ratings of any uh, Marvel TV show that they've put out so far. Uh, as part of this extended thing. And I I must admit, I don't know why. Like, because it feels like this should be a bit of a smash hit. I've not heard anything good or bad about it, other than people just aren't watching it in the same quantities, which obviously, you know, it's Marvel stuff, so I'm sure they're watching it in pretty high quantities, but not as much as even something like Falcon and the... Captain America and the Falcon and the that stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, or as you know, not as in as many numbers as certainly something like One Division. Has anybody uh, like you folks have seen some of it? I want to say because you're yeah, usually pretty first, hot on this stuff. First three episodes have already been out, and it is probably my at the moment is probably my favourite of the Marvel series. I mean, really, I think one division might end up as my favorite because it might be more rewatchable than miss marvel turns out to be and miss marvel's already hitting a few like um odd stumbling blocks in terms of pacing which Mm -hmm. eventually was the thing that kind of threw moon knight off kilter as well but i think that miss marvel does a incredible job of bringing um the comic to life and also an incredible job of bringing this character to life of Kamala Khan and what was so great about the comics was how it really enveloped the character in her own culture and identity but then also explored how that sort of faced up against the fact that she was this emerging uh, like superhero so she is a Pakistani Muslim but first-generation American, so she was born in America. Uh, but her parents fled Pakistan um, after the partition, or during the, the partition, should I say. And when I first read the comics, I always thought that that was something that wouldn't really be handled very well, but actually the more you read it and the more you start to see that they actually really understand how that shapes or has an impact on her as a character and what I love about the TV show actually is how they really celebrate that cultural identity that cultural heritage and that it's multifaceted it's it's got depth there you know in the latest episode that we that has been on uh, there was a Muslim wedding but during the Muslim wedding there was Bollywood dancing and it was just lovely to see you know this this cultural like exploration on the screen of not only like this deeply religious event but then also this this strong pakistani heritage that this that this family have got and Mm -hmm. i think it takes a lot to bring that into a into a story like this definitely you know like a marvel tv series so there's that which i really enjoy about it but then the other thing that i really enjoy is that it's pretty much stealing elements from some of my favorite movies over the past couple of years like if you told me that Edgar Wright was directing the series especially the first episode I would have believed you without looking like the editing is so sharp and it's so fast and it's so like if you're not careful you're going to get whiplash but it's incredible it's kinetic it's it's powerfully pacey and then the elements of it where you're just like you've you've taken that from Mitchell's versus the machines you've stolen that right out of spider-man into the spider-verse and somehow blended it seamlessly into this live Mm. action series like it is incredibly 
clever and smart and you really have to pay attention and Kamala Khan is a really well-rounded character with clear aspirations and aims and dreams and she lives in this cross-cultural diverse landscape of people and and and, and friends and family and it's it's so it could go in either direction it's either going to be incredibly superb or it's really going to drop the ball when it really gets into the quote-unquote marvelness of it yeah and I mean that by the company that are making it not by the the yeah. the, the superhero that she that she kind of looks up to I mean I've not even mentioned like what the actual story is if you're familiar with the comics it diverges a little bit from her origin but basically she's really looks up to Captain Marvel idolizes her as you know the best Avenger in her eyes or the best superhero and one day she finds a bangle and ends up finding out that she's got some sort of superpowers which I actually prefer to the fact to the comics where she goes to a beach and gets lost in a bit of fog and then <laughs> that unlocks her the yeah. Targaryen mists and she realizes that she's um, an inhuman but you could understand why Marvel may not want to reference the Inhumans uh, because they don't exist. Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Right. Because that was one of the things, you know, you touched on some of the things that I liked about the that, that first collection of comics, which was, you know, it really did feel like, you know, there's some really cool scenes where they're hanging out with, you know, some of their younger friends who have got jobs in like a bodega, for example. And there's there's mm-hmm. tons of that. There's tons of There's tons of stuff that you recognize from that kind of uh what's what's the best way of me saying this like when you go into it so here in the uk we have like um corner shops and that and that kind of stuff and they often have quite a bit of the culture of the people who run them in them yeah so for example you might go in and it might be absolutely (laughs) like filled with the smell of like incense for example there's one just down my road that that smells like that for example uh or you know that they've got like you know they've got like important images or important you know bits and pieces in this thing that allows them to kind of show off some of their their culture and be close to their culture so there's bits of that in the in the comics and but there's also the flip side of it of there it's not just a it's not just like a a blanket like this culture is good it's actually yeah. a, it's actually a this cult culture is complex like every other culture and there are there are really great parts about it and then there are downsides to it of for example, um, I know Kamala really struggles with some of her family members in terms of how strict uh, some of them are, for example. I don't know mm-hmm. if that happens in the TV series. but And, and that's a yes. really interesting part of it too. And the thing that it reminded me of, that comic series, weirdly, when I was reading it, the thing that I that constantly went through my mind was the feeling I'm getting from this is the same feeling I got when I was 14 or 15 and reading Spider-Man, where it was about a person, a, a real, it was really about Peter Parker, a real, uh, you know, a person yeah. who's struggling and has their own goals and ambitions and all that sort of stuff. And they're trying to figure out what it means to be a young person in in New York, for example, and uh, the different sort of cultural niches that they were part of, the jocks, the the nerds, the all that sort of stuff. And then there was also this other element. Oh, and by the way, I am a superhero and I have these powers and I have got them through this and also figuring out what that means, what their identity means there as well. And it feels to me that that's, that, that made me very excited about that comic series. And I, and I hope that comes across in the TV series because that to me was the, the sort of, yeah, it felt like a new Spider-Man for me. It's, it's interesting that you, you mentioned Spider-Man because, uh, I mean, I'm pro- I probably come to this in a bit of a different place to kind of you guys. So I've like same with all the Marvels. I I don't read the comics, so I come to the sh- films, I come to the shows, kind of fresh without having really any of that back back kind of story and that backwards knowledge. So, but you mentioned Spider Man. I found what was quite interesting was like when the the MCU started with the Spider Man films, they they took into account the fact of fans have seen the Spider Man origin story a hundred times. No one wants to see that same thing again. So you don't have that. When when he shows up in the MCU, he's practically fully formed. He is he is already fighting crime. He might not have the suit yet, but he's pretty much there. But what they do here with, with Kamala Khan, they get to do that origin story. They get to do the discovery of powers. How do I do this? How oh I can how do I get the powers to work? Does and the training and the practicing and the learning and all that stuff. And so it is interesting that you kind of make that comparison because obviously the nature of the characters both being kind of 
young teenagers and the kind of the role that being in high school plays in both kind of both stories is really prevalent and it's a huge part of miss marvel like her a lot of it is around her school life and existing with friends and social dilemmas and discovering who you are and being proud of who you are and all that stuff and it's all really lovely uh like stuff with as you, you talk about stuff with her culture and religion and some of her friends and how they deal with kind of religion and how they deal with other people and it's lots of it is very very subtly done very delicately done but it's 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 really nicely played that kind of everyone can can watch and you can enjoy it. and it, as, as sam said like it's it's so refreshing to see some of these cultures being portrayed in such detail like I, I'm not. I'm. Only, I've only watched the first two episodes, and like in the second episode, there is kind of a scene in a mosque, and you don't really see that. You never see stories in mainstream kind of media where you've got scenes in a mosque. There was stuff that I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. Like genuinely, these are cultural things I just didn't know. I, I've not been exposed to. So it is refreshing to see this stuff being portrayed in in such a way that is very matter of fact very look this is just part of the story that we're telling this is part of these characters lives so we're gonna this is this we'll include that in there sam you said this is your favorite kind of series that they put out it's not my favorite like i encourage to kind of see more of it like i watched the first episode and kind of as you said that the editing and like some of the stylistic choices are just gorgeous the use of kind of the idea of hand-drawn animation and different things very much kind of scrapbook ideas and stuff like that it did feel a little bit like a, a more of a kids show compared to the other ones um so i think maybe that's why it didn't hook me quite as quite as well as some of the shows Lo loki for me is my favorite of the shows that they brought out I, I really did like moon knight and those kind of stem towards perhaps a more adult um storyline anyway and kind of that the, the context of those is is more grown up not to say that there's not grown-up elements to miss marvel absolutely not that absolutely are but the 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 base level of it because it's a because they're playing it as this school school girl in school obviously the the tone is going to be lighter you're not going to go in with the dark tone that you are with loki or moon knight there's just that just wouldn't work so it, it's absolutely correct that what they've done it just didn't hook me as much as it as it did when i watched the second episode however i found myself just smiling all the way through and really enjoying and the joy in all the characters and like the, the character of Kamala Khan played by Iman Vellani is just so joyful and there's a wonderful kind of dance sequence that she does in like in the second episode which is just fantastic and it's so childlike in a in the most perfect way it's not childlike like a an infant it is like a teenager kind of lost in thought lost in kind of emotion and it's it is absolutely I found myself really enjoying it and like I watched that first episode and I was kind of like you know what yeah it's fine it's not really for me whereas the second episode I was like it's not for me but you know what it's i'm along for the ride it's really mm. good fun it's i'm gonna it's not gonna finish on on top kind of of the of all the things that i like but i'm really enjoying it like i've been i think it's fair to say somewhat uh subdued with the mcu output ever since endgame um but i have to say kind of consistently with these tv shows maybe not falcon and soldier but like wandavision and loki and moon knight and all of these they are just hitting out of the park and they're giving us interesting stories interesting characters giving us new things like the the, the, the culture that we're getting from this marvel some of the culture that we got from moon knight and all the different ideas from loki and everything is just so kind of rich that I'm that I'm not getting from the films, but that's okay because these are really doing it for me. And Miss Marvel has picked it up, and it's great that one thing that's always been kind of levied at a lot of the Marvel films is they're all the same. Mm. They follow the same track, and they do to an extent. Don't get me wrong; they are all different, and certain films stand out. Something like Black Panther absolutely stands out above others, but a lot of them they follow a very typical path, and that's okay. It's a tried and trusted method. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But they've just had this freedom with these TV shows to kind of just like let loose and say, you know what? If it doesn't work, that's okay. Let's try something. Let's try and be fun. Let's try and do something interesting. Let's make a show that's dedicated to the character. The show of Miss Marvel is the character of Kamala Khan. The mm. show of Loki was Loki. And that's a thing. It's true to the characters that it's about. And it's not just, okay, it's this character in a Marvel show, cut and paste, and off we go. It's it's very much different, and I, I'm re I am really really enjoying it. I am interested to see 
how it progresses and how because i'm still very early on what we all like there's only three episodes out at the moment at time of recording but kind of it is going to be interesting to see what happens with the character and how they can maintain this kind of joy because that's the best thing for me i'm just sitting there with a big smile on my face and it's it's a big kind of bowl of popcorn and sweets for me that's it and that's brilliant i just love phase four in terms of what marvel is doing at the moment full stop Mm -hmm. this revisionist approach to the superhero film narrative as you say dan that cookie cutter model that marvel did for probably the first two two and a half phases they've now thankfully kind of drawing a line under that and it's there's something really refreshing about having these alternative perspectives or in this superhero rich world it's told through the eyes of characters that aren't the typical white male to some degree heteronormative uh, kinds of individuals but also crucially in a manner that's not overly tokenistic to actually have a full creative team mm. that are also part of that mm-hmm. um, culture so Bisha K. Ali is the showrunner for this series who herself is British Pakistani who also wrote Loki wrote was one of the writers of Loki and also wrote for Sex Education that TV series as well so some really good pedigree there but also just straight away that laser precision knows what it is to embody that role across cultures in the same way as in Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings you had that as well to a degree also in Eternals as well and there's something really really refreshing about that um, really Mm. and so those little nuances as you say Dan of being in a mosque and can I just say it's lovely to be in a mosque in a TV series without any sinister music playing in the background absolutely yeah yeah. it's it's in an episode of Homeland Yeah. You know, yeah. It, or 24 or something like that where you kind of like oh god what's gonna like happen? little things like take your shoes off i mean most people know you take your shoes off before you go into a mosque but the fact that one of the characters her shoes get nicked and it's just like oh god and you know it's one of those those little tiny minutiae of everyday things that go on it's the fact that they all they all speak urdu to each other as well which is which is really nice and it's never i think the lens that this is shot through is from a is from that Pakistani. It's from that. It's, it's that Muslim lens. It's not being shot or written from a Western lens, where things need to exp- be be explained or spelled out in terms of you know these little like dashes of Urdu that they speak to each other. Just like really add to that to that feeling. And there's not like there's not really like a Western analog there who stands by and like explains what what is it going on. There's like a wonderful scene in. Um, where they're having this uh, gathering outside and it like explains who these different groups are and it's like you know there's one time where they come up to these explains these guys oh here are the converts or i should have said revert it's never really explained what that really means because it's seen through a very specific lens that already understands what that means so it doesn't need to be explained to the audience and that and i and that's where it really gripped me in terms of actually seeing as you were saying, Chris, a movie without a male Western um, yeah. lens to it, like a completely new and unique voice. And it's not trying to say, oh, look, isn't this great? You know, it no. does, it is challenges. It show, it highlights the sexism there, the institutional sexism mm-hmm. in the mosque and this kind of like back and forth between the intergeneration, you know, the different generations as well. So, you know, it, it's not trying to gloss over anything there at all. And you get that sense of reverence, reverence for this culture, but also, you know, there's laughter in the mosque. There's kind of wisdom that's expounded there. And there's that sense of community. There's a wonderful thing in, in the towards the end of the second episode where you see an Eid celebration, which for a lot of people, yeah. they, they don't know what Eid is. And I think, as you say, Pete, one of the reasons why people didn't jump on this was and i saw this in lots of comments when people the trailer came up they said yeah that looks that looks like that looks cool but it's it's a kid's show so i won't watch it and you know let's be honest all of this is kids yeah. these are 12 as like this is all the kids show you know like it's all the kids show like if yeah. you think about it iron man came out in 2008 think about when like you're 12 years old if you're born in 2008 when iron man came out 12 years later I think that hits around the same time as I think the first Doctor Strange. It might be one of the Guardians of the Galaxy films. Mm. That for you is when you're, that, that could be your first Marvel film that you see. Mm. And, and so like 
we've got to remember that fact that you know these are all kids films it just depends on mm -hmm. and, and like it hasn't been that long but equally since we were kids and i look at kamala khan i think how cool are you you are wanting to you don't only just love captain marvel you wear t-shirts you cosplay as captain marvel when i was her age i mean i've always been geeky and nerdy i i wasn't that you know extrovert i didn't even i didn't make it part of me i'd hide it say for example because i didn't want to get punched and and at the, so i'm watching this character and a bit like you dan i've got this grin on my face because i've got a character here who is just just so inspiring to some degree and i kind of wish that you know, if I was a 12-year-old watching this now, or 16, which is the age of Kamala Khan, watching this, I find her so inspiring, genuinely. Yeah. And, and, and just her friendship and this culture she's a part of, equally so. I think it's a very, very special show. Yes, it'll probably fall into the trap of Marvel, as invariably, invariably happens towards the end, a la lots of the TV series. But that moment, that fizzing vibrancy is something that I think transcends that. I judged a flower show the other day. <laughs> no, you didn't. You, <laughs> I just can't believe that that's true. Did well, anyone yeah, ask I mean, you to? Or well, yeah, I did. Yeah, I was asked to. Right. Okay. What do you mean? Who who asks? What what room are How you in? Who headhunted you? Yeah. Who looks at Chris Darby and says, "You know what that man needs to do? He needs to judge this flower show." I mean, maybe there's some kind of sadist because, as we've spoken about in a previous pod, I had quite crippling hay fever. <laughs> True. And is it all about the size of the stamen, or is it other things as right, well? Right. Okay. So, walked into a big tent. It was a, <laughs> it was the WI, and okay. a sweet old lady came up to me and said, "The judges died. We need someone else now. <laughs> is there is there a doctor in the plane that could judge this this?" <laughs> Have you have you just had a fever dream that you're in an episode of Midsummer Murders? Because <laughs> something's going wrong here. So okay, so Chris, you you go to the Women's Institute. Yeah, they had the, they had a tent, and I walked in. A sweet old lady came up to me and said, "Would you mind judging yeah. the flowers that we have here? Okay, pick the best display." Did they I know around you? The room. They didn't know me. No. Were you wearing your doctor's garb? You know, were you wearing your graduation finery? Yeah. yeah. Were you wearing your Were you wearing your T-shirt that says "Ask me to judge flower shows"? <laughs> no, I just gave off that vibe, that energy. Yeah. You know. Okay. Maybe it was just the way I was just looking around the room. Maybe it's the way I was blowing my nose because of the pollen. I could see the pollen. It was that thick in the right. Air. It's because he's wearing and... that shirt that says "Bonkers for pollen." Chris like a big beak. <laughs> can I ask one of you, and this is, this is going to be committed to the edit, can I ask one of you to get me a t-shirt with that on it? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. Yeah. I'm already Googling whether or not this exists. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But can we please make a t-shirt for Chris that says, Buck. <laughs> In a weird twist of fate, we all know that, that Pete is cursed. And whenever Correct. Pete tries to leave Bristol, mm. there's terrible weather. There are strikes. Something always happens to prevent him from leaving that, that area. Yes. So to try and lift the curse, I went to go and visit Pete in Bristol two weeks on the trot. Very magnanimous of you. I know. And I think it may have worked, but we'll find out so in July when we all get together. First time, we were on our way back from my brother's wedding and uh, we just stopped off, went to a lovely Asian uh, supermarket, and I had a wonderful maple syrup brownie. No, maple syrup flapjack. Indeed. And a decaf coffee. <laughs> and my son <laughs> ate a whole pack of fridge raiders <laughs> in Sainsbury's. I'm surprised, he, I'm surprised he's not absolutely built uh, by this point. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> A whole pack of fridge raiders. He just—he was very content the whole way. He's on Huel now, is he? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Every day he's making those shakes. And then the week after, I came down because it was the Bristol Craft Beer Festival. Oh, yeah. 
And Pete and I went uh, for opening night. Opening night. Opening night. Eagle-eyed Instagram followers may have spied a before and after picture of the evening where the Mm. after picture was distinctly more glassy-eyed than the former. Mm. Can I just have the record show Mm. how good Sam looks in a hat? Oh, thanks. Looks looks great in a hat. Looks great in a hat. So I, I, I don't like wearing hats. I don't think I look good in a hat. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I'm currently um, trying to be a positive role model for my son. Mm-hmm. And when he's out in the sunshine, it's like very important, Hugo. You've got to wear a hat. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Keeps the sun off your head. And I can tell he's looking at me and going, yeah, but you're not wearing a hat. Yeah. So why should I wear a hat? So he has his own sunglasses now and he has and he has a hat. And I have my hat and my sunglasses. So... I wanted to buy a hat that wasn't just like a, a an American sports team that I have zero affinity with <laughs> or understand, uh, nor an American sports brand that I didn't have an affinity with. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to pick up a hat from a brewery company <laughs> company in Bristol. And I did. Yeah. And it's a nice hat. It's a nice hat, isn't it? We had a lovely time. We uh, we drank a couple of beers, one or two of them. Just a couple. Yeah. Just a few. Uh, it was very nice. I played... Shuffleboard. Shuffleboard. Turns out, I'm quite good at shuffleboard. Uh, I, I honestly didn't think I'd be good at... I, I didn't think I'd be good at what is essentially mini curling. I, I, and then afterwards, because of course this is, my, this is where my brain goes, uh, I was like... How much? How much would it be to buy a shuffleboard? Jeez. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. of course it would. Yeah, of course it would. Uh, anyway, I can't afford one, so uh, uh, I'm, I'm what the way I'm going to see it is undefeated. Basically, you know, in thirty years' time, I'll say oh, I could have been a contender. So you came down and uh, had a lovely yeah. time at the, at the beer. Yeah, we festival. had a few beers at the, at the beer a few festival. Beers. A few beers. A few beers. A few beers. Um, we got and... some blue popcorn, which was actually was... a lot nicer than it was than disgusting. Looked. I hated it. Uh, but uh, oh, that's mostly I because it. I can't I can't deal with toffee popcorn. I think it was basically blue toffee, wasn't it? Um, it was salted caramel blue popcorn. Is that what it was? Oh, I don't know. I didn't yeah. like it. I did um, 25,000 steps that day. Mm-hmm. If you've been mm-hmm. to Bristol, we walked up the Christmas steps three times. Three times. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's quite a lot. Um, we also managed to play quite a lot of board games. Um, we did. Listen, I, I want to be real for a second. I've been playing a board game. Uh, I've been playing a card game for a while uh, with Alex, uh, and it's a game that I was very snobbish about. Alex got bought for a, 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 a I think it was a birthday present. Uh, got bought a copy of the core set of something called Disney Villainous, mm-hmm. which is a how to describe it. It's a it's an asynchronous. Uh, card game where there's tons of different mechanics and uh, basically there are a bunch of Disney villains so you play as the Disney villains so that's people like Cruella de Vil um, people like uh, oh what's his name Thingy Pete uh, what's that Pete guy called the one from um, just Steamboat Willie is it called he's called just Mean just called Pete, Pete. Yeah. Is it called Pete? just called okay. Pete yeah just called Pete um, see we never get good names um, there's also uh, what's his name Prince the, John the King Prince John yeah, yeah. So lots and lots and lots of Disney villains. You play as those and the you are you have a, a play area in front of you uh in which you have to complete an objective and each objective is unique to the villain that you're playing as. So for example, uh you might have to collect a certain amount of energy coin things well i can give i can give a great example i can give a great example so i played this game for the first time at pete and i was rattigan oh rattigan right uh from basil the great mouse detective one of the finest of disney animations one of the greatest ever made. disney yeah films. yeah without one of the doubt. greatest it's in the title and rattigan can win and you'll know this if you've seen the film he wins by getting the robot version of um, Queen Elizabeth into Buckingham Palace. Right. So on these little player mats that you're all playing with, there are about four or five different locations 
and when you occupy that lo a certain location on your turn you get to do a certain amount of actions that might be like play a card or um collect some power coins or do some sort of stuff so Ratigan to win basically had to get the robot version of the queen from mm -hmm. his hideout to buckingham palace and that was how he won but everyone and this is the thing that kind of astounded me about the game is that i thought everyone would have a variation on that same theme so it would be yep. try and get x into y position but no like the the game is a lot more thematic and detailed in how it applies that theme than i had any sort of um idea that it would be that everyone has a very very specific like for example chris you were playing prince john from uh, robin yep. hood and yours just like get a certain amount of money because because that's what he's obsessed with yeah it was it was it was quite staggering in that way i was very very impressed by that and here's the thing here's the confession when <laughs> alex got purchased it i thought to yeah. myself ah I yeah don't you know. do don't you you look at it and you go look like i i know waterstones is all about putting board games into their shops now all right uh, but this is a and every once in a while there'll be and you know i would say 50% of the set is usually pretty good and then maybe a little bit more than 50% is pretty good and then every once in a while you'll be like yeah okay we know why this is here and whenever i looked at disney villainous because that would always be in there i i was always like this is going to be a cash in this is going to, it's got the disney name on it it's a board game it's going to be tedious or a skin of something or something along those lines and i'll be honest with you as well i think it's by i believe it's by ravensburger isn't it yes and ravensburger are a company that do really some of the, the games that they do are really great and some of them mm -hmm. absolutely are cash-ins like like and and that is part of their business model like, you know in the same way that um i don't know activision Part of their business model is make really incredible, compelling games, and part of them is take a very, very standard genre and skin it with the thing that the kids like, right? Um, yeah. And I thought that that's what Disney Villainous would be. So when when I sort of started delving through it, this thing is made. First of all, the 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 component quality is off the chart. Like and the yeah. art. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And, and and so for example. So, for example, you get a, a little, um, a sort of like statuette, I guess, of your villain. Uh, and that represents where you are in your play space. Because you essentially, one of the core mechanics in the, uh, in the game is that you, you sort of are represented on your, your own little personal board by the villain. And when you, you take an action... When you move the, the, the piece, you can take all of the actions that are displayed on the board in that location. But you can't, by default, you can't do the same set of actions the, the, the next time on your next go. Yeah. Right? So that's generally how that bit works. And there's a bunch of different actions like discarding cards and drawing more of them and, and um, uh, you know, generating resources and, and stuff like that. I won't go into the specifics of those those things. But but the, the the statuette is is gorgeous. It's like it's like a little mm -hmm. piece of modernist sculpture. It's it's fantastic, yeah. and you get exactly what the thing is. It's not like a perfect miniature. It's not like a represent an exact representation of Pete. It's not an exact representation of Cruella de Vil. It's a it's almost as if some, uh, an artist has been commissioned to to represent what they are, right? Like an ideograph. Sure. It's like the equivalent of you running the word hello through Google Translate over and over and over and over and over yeah. and over and over again. So it's still got the essence of what hello yeah. is. Yeah. But eventually it starts losing a little bit of its shape and recognize and, yeah. and like how it's like recognizable to you. Exactly. Yeah. It's like it's sort of Vatican and just yeah, exactly. kept on going and, through. And then the card art, as you say, Chris, like the card art. So all of the images, they're not just like, oh, let's just go and get the cells, copy them off, jobs are good. They They've created individual card art that is so. For example, uh, Steamboat Willie, and I, I'm going to focus on Pete because you know he's my namesake. Um, yeah. But Steamboat Willie's stuff, it's all brand new art, right? Because I mean, you know, there's just no way you're going to get those uh, that looking any good. The originals looking any good. So they've created all this brand new art, and it looks 
perfect. It looks exactly like what you remember Steamboat Willie looking like. But that art style is then totally different when we look at, you know, how the Little Mermaid visuals would have been, or 101 Dalmatians, or, um, uh, yeah, like, uh, I don't know, Robin Hood, those sorts of things. They all have a similar style in that, like, they take... It all sits together really nicely. You could put any card against any other card and it will sit together and not look strange. And yet, they are very different visual styles. They somehow managed to make the whole thing kind of come together. Loads of beautiful components, loads of thick cardboard pieces, the card stock's really good. So all of that's really good. Then the game mechanics themselves. It's like, the way I described it, and this is going to be sacrilege to some people, but the way I described it is... It's the Arkham Asylum, or the Netrunner, that myself and Alex can easily get into and be be fans of. You don't do yep. net. You don't do deck building. There's no. There's no sense of I'm going to build this deck and do all that sort of stuff because I hate deck building. There's none of that sort of stuff. But there's lots of really interesting mechanics in there that thematically feel right, and it's very compelling. You're almost telling a story as you're going through it. Not. Not in a kind of like narrative RPG sort of a sense, but but there's a there's a I do this like oh this is where I transformed this is where I found the genie this is when I you yeah. know, did did all those sorts of things it's it's just amazing and I guess the the thing with it is I came away from it I've come away from it thinking first of all I want to get all the other ones like we're already we're already eyeing up the rest of the villainous collection but I'm yeah. also really interested in seeing. What does the Marvel set look like? What happens there? Like, what is the difference? I know that you, they're not uh, cross-compatible, but what does that offer? Are they able to get across the Marvel characters in the same way? Because my mind is now reeling into, like, how does Spider-Man play? How is that different to uh, Star-Lord? How is that different to, you know, yeah, just absolutely incredible. Incredible it work. Was, it was so much more complex than I was anticipating and i think there is like a difficulty scale so you can pick yeah. yeah heroes that villains i should say you can pick villains that operate slightly easier or the conditions yes for them to win are slightly less complex to get to grips with because obviously you yes. look at this on the shelf and as you said like i've seen this game everywhere and it's ubiquity in some regards has been the thing that's kind of put me off in a way which is yeah. which is a detriment on my part and a, a bad reflection on, on myself just to discount something um because it seems very popular but i think where i was coming from i felt like with this ip with this direction that it would be a game that wouldn't have that complexity yeah. it wouldn't have that detail and the one thing that that struck me when I played it is how it felt to play a lot like Jaws felt to play. Sure. Now, I know you bounced off Jaws, Pete, but me and Chris actually really enjoyed Jaws. Oh, I loved I loved the first half. Yeah. But Jaws but incidentally, Jaws and Villainous are by the same designer, Prospero Hall. Hmm. Who does a ton of IP board games. Like he's done a Home Alone one, he's done a Ted Lasso one. Um, Horrified is one of his um, Rear Window, uh, which is the big new one. Rear Window, which is getting a lot of buzz um, around it. Uh, did one on Pan Am and um, did Ramen Fury, which is one of the games we played actually that weekend, which I mm. I enjoyed. Again, Pete, oh, yeah. you don't enjoy it. But again, the same with Jaws, which is another Ravensburger game, was a game that didn't seem on the surface like it should be as complex mechanically or rewarding mechanically as it actually turned out yeah. to be yeah and villainous gave me all the same vibes as playing uh a blitz deck from flesh and blood from playing a you know a yep. a, a certain color deck from uh magic the gathering that that act of i've got this deck of cards how do i get the best out best out of it I think Dan, you would like this game a lot. Yeah, yeah. Because you're you're into Disney. I do like the idea of like as Pete you mentioned, but the deck building kind of not being a factor that that is attractive to me because as you'll be well aware, like 
deck building games that just hold no interest for me whatsoever like that just it just goes straight over my head so and and i think and i think that that elements coming from for me as someone who doesn't play games to the same level as perhaps you guys do like just and that's more to do with kind of just opportunities to play games i yeah. don't have the same necessary opportunities because i don't really play them kind of wife all that much although the kind of the, the types of games we play are very limited so having a game like this that doesn't have that bear of deck building but also has that um attraction of the known properties yeah absolutely i can get on board because there is a set there is a level of kind of hurt there is a hurdle to overcome that i've already jumped over because i'm i'm i can be invested in a, in a certain form if you know what i mean so that mm-hmm. like often with games there's there's many hurdles when you first learn a game and like that's why it's so difficult when you try and get people who don't play games because as a as people who who have played board games like, i mean i have like you know that actually the first time you play a game you're probably not going to get it or you are going to get it but you're not going to fully uh, enjoy it because you're spending all the time working it all out once you play it through once you know the run and then next time you can just enjoy it and obviously for people who don't play them like that's like I don't want to have to play it three or four times just to enjoy it. I want to play mm-hmm. it one, one and done. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that you can do to enable that hurdle to be knocked down, to make it easier to engage with, always should be kind of kind of praised and kind of looked for. It was really interesting because like I was sat playing with Alex. Alex was sat next to me and Alex was playing a much more complex character. They were playing as, as is it Esme from Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, yeah. It was it was so funny because I watched. I was like, "What's Alex doing?" Alex was dealing out four piles of cards face down, and her one of her goals was to look for Kronk. And like in any other skin, I wouldn't have got that straight away. But she goes, "Oh yeah, because of that bit in the film." And it was really lovely because we mm-hmm. so, we sometimes would be pausing the game, going, "Oh gosh, yeah, I haven't watched that film in ages." Oh, it's so funny when this happens. When this happens, with the exception of Steamboat Willie, which I think I've watched once maybe in my life, oh, like. Crazy. The other three of us around the table going, oh, gosh, yeah, you've, oh, you've got Big Ben on your thing, Sam. Yeah, the, that was like the first instance of CGI in a Disney film, a Disney animated film. And so we were, we were talking as much about and on nostalgia yeah. for Disney as we were talking about, oh, wh- wh- what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Which I thought was really, really lovely. And the thing that I think like really gets it across is obviously, Sam, as Sam points out, it's very thematic in that way. But I think the coolest thing about it being an asymmetrical game is that unlike something like Root, which obviously I I really like, but unlike something like that, this one's actually much easier to learn and to teach because even if you've not played the character before or if you're not playing the character at that time, the fundamental mechanics are all the same across all the characters. You can you know, discard down, you can do an action, you can, you know, uh, uh, whatever it is, you you know, uh, 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 you can respond to a specific condition, for example. They're all fundamentally the same. It's just that when you have then, when you're actually looking at the character you're going to play, those objectives and those goals, those are different. There are little twists on what those rules are. And so it's much, much easier to get across what it is to somebody who's just brand new. And what it also does is it makes you want all the other ones. Because because you know that you're not going to have to sit down and learn... Okay, how do I how do how do the how does the Irie work again? How do the woodland creatures work again? It's been three months since I've played it and I've completely forgotten how to play this this thing, right? The the thing with Villainous is that you could you just immediately pick it up. You immediately want to move on, but you also you also really want to go and see. Oh, I really like that character. I wonder how they've done this in in how they've done this in this game. And it just yeah, it's just very very compelling. Yeah, the Marvel thing will be interesting considering that most Marvel villains are pretty non-memorable. Um, right. Yeah. Consequently, it wasn't the only asynchronous game that we played that we played that weekend, which is interesting because asynchronous games, as well as games that do player elimination, are pretty much those are my no-go zones hmm. uh, in terms of games 
that I enjoy playing. Asymmetrical games. Asymmetrical games. I mean, saying that now, I've just twigged that Cosmic Encounter is an asymmetric game in a way. It is. But again, but again, the fundamentals of something like Cosmic Encounter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're the all the, the fundamentals yeah. are all the same. It's just here's yeah. the twist. I suppose you're always you're going to get different levels of that little different shades of grey within as uh, within asymmetrical games, right? Yeah, like you're you're going to get things that are like, well, there's very little that's the same, but you're still using maybe the same tokens and counters and more, maybe as you say, phases. And then there's ones that are identical, except for you know tiny little things here and there. So yeah, so where would Crescent Moon sit for everyone else? Because this is the other game that we that we play that was kindly sent to us from Osprey Games, and they sent it to us an age ago. And I do apologise to the wonderful people at Osprey because usually we'd be we'd be chomping at the bit to get some latest Osprey uh, beans down our throat. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> Alas, Osprey this time it, it's taken us a while because. Crescent Moon is a weird proposition where the minimum player count is four and the maximum player count is five. And that's it. Hmm. And that's quite strange in this current age of board games where we're sitting, where games are trying to appeal to a really broad section of of, of people and players. Solitaire mode and two-player modes get slotted onto loads of games that don't need it deserve it or even works with it whereas here it's making a very very bold claim that this is only for four and five people and yep. that's that's it so it's very very rare these days that i get four people around the table and if i do sitting down for a area control um asymmetrical game is can be a pretty hard sell so mm-hmm. i took the opportunity of of me, Pete, uh, Chris, and Alex. Sorry, Dan. Um, being in, um, being together to play Crescent Moon for the first time, and yes, yeah, so this is another asynchronous game. By that, we mean that all the players around the table are doing different things in the same game, or they may have different ways that they are going to win. There is some difference between how each of those players will be playing, and in and interacting with the game. So this is from um, Stephen Mathers with art by Navid Rahman. And, you know, we unbox this all together around the table. And the art is incredible. Like, I'm, you know, Osprey are well known for how stunning their games look. And Crescent oh, yeah. Moon doesn't disappoint. Like, it's set in, in like, a, a period of time which really allows it to celebrate a lot of um, Middle Eastern like artistry and iconography, and it looks stunning for embracing that sort of art and culture from that part of the world, specifically at that at that time. And on the face of it is a area control game where players are essentially fighting or attempting to use influence to gain control over a very very small map which is sort of the the second thing after the artwork that really struck me like how small this map we were all fighting over was it really helps make all the four players around the table focus in on one particular thing so unlike something like Scythe, where you're kind of focused in on your particular region, you can kind of get very blinkered into turtling away in, in one particular corner of the board, or something like Villainous, where you're very much looking down at your player board and not really engaging with the other players around the table. Everyone, despite it being an asynchronous game, is very much focused on this on this small area in the centre of the table that you're all kind of fighting for over dominance. And... The next sort of trick that I think Crescent Moon plays and and plays it really well is on how well-defined it puts across its characters. Now, my thing with Root is, and there's been a lot of, like, comparison by, oh, is Crescent Moon the new Root? And is this the Root beater? And oh, blah, 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 blah. I've 
not really party to that to that conversation and i'm only going to bring up root in this one one instance is that my my issue with root has always been never really clearly being able to understand how other people play around the board and how i mm. should interact with them and mm. what they are going for like i i've enjoyed the games of root that i've played but i've always struggled with very quickly being um, being able to understand this is that character that's what they're doing fine however crescent moon streamlines that experience remarkably so we played as a mercy of the warlord the sultan of the caliph if you have a fifth player that fifth player becomes the nomad and the roles and i think this is why it's a four player minimum game it's the roles are perfectly suited to complement each other and to bounce off each other to the degree where there are certain players who benefit from siding with other players around the board and there are certain players that will benefit from purposefully um, attacking or going after certain other players around the board. So it makes very, very clear demarcation in terms of I am the warlord, I'm all about attacking and I'm the sultan and I'm building and I'm rejuvenating this land and establishing lots of towns and cities everywhere and I'm the caliph and I'm all about trying to protect these buildings that the that the sultan is making. And then the Nomad is basically, I really wish we'd had a fifth player because I really like how the Nomad plays. And the Nomad <laughs> is basically someone who hires out mercenaries to other players around the board. Yeah. And they effectively have a win condition where it's all about they turn the money that they make from selling mercenaries into victory points. And I think the key to what I enjoyed most about Crescent Moon is finishing it and immediately feeling like oh i want to play as yeah i want to play as what chris was doing because that looked that looked really fun it was the and it then, was the know, best player mine was, i think mine was the best role personally the mercid was was great because it really allowed for those elements of diplomacy like there's a there's a particular mechanic that you had chris as the mercid where was it is it during battles or during influence contests one of the two when when two players were in contention with each other they could give away victory points to Chris in order to get his help in those contests. Mm. And that was probably the moment where I really felt, you know, that wonderful element of role-playing coming, com coming into this, coming into a game like that. And Pete, you were the warmonger, but you took about quite a bit of time to, you know, get into the whole war aspect. <laughs> yeah. Of war element. Yeah. Yeah, I... I yeah I, but it also you know i i was i was heading out having little scraps here and there i think one of the things i really liked about it as well was that when i played the map that we were playing on i thought okay there's 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 a couple of ways i can deal with this but generally there's going to be a few strategies that i'm going to use each time that i use this but one of the things yeah. i really liked about it is there's different maps you can just you can take the yeah. whole thing oh, and just move it up. i love that move it up it's a bit it reminded me a lot of like spirit island yeah Yes. in that regard how, how small and how tight the board is yeah yeah and like how even though you know i think it took us about an hour and a half to to play but i do like as well how small and tight the actual game progression is yeah so you play over the course of three years four years if you go for like the full game quote unquote and in each year you only take four actions so we only had 12 actions to basically try and win the game and I kind of felt half and half about it. Part of me really likes the simplicity of it and the fact it really cuts to the chase. And it, and I think that there's quite a few occasions where you really feel like you've got to go in one certain direction and you've really got to play to the strengths of your character because if you don't, you're not going to get the most out of those, of those 12 actions. And what's really nice is the game actually comes with little booklets for each character and it has like advice from an old friend or something like that which gives you like this wonderful like very thematic letter that you've been sent which explains who you are what you're going out for and how you should play or, or sort of like how you should like direct your direct your resources but what i like about that dan is the fact that like if you wanted to, you could take that advice, and I did. So straight away, I became very pally with the Sultan, which Alex played mm -hmm. at. But if, if you want to ignore that, if you're a seasoned player and think, actually, no, 
I've cultivated my own strategy. I'm going to play my Murshid as someone who's a little bit more fighty. I could go and do that mm. if I wanted to. So it's not like, okay, I have to play in this particular way. And every time I play the Murshid, it's always going to be the same same steps, but on a different type of map, say, for example. I can actually choose to kind of go my own route through it. I will probably stumble quite a lot more. Yeah. Um, but would. it's nice knowing that I could do that. So you kind of get the best of both worlds there, which I think is great. So, so, so there's kind of flexibility, not only in kind of your interactions with other people. So obviously, like, if you look at like Cosmic Encounter, like, you might be the same person, but that's going to change depending on who you're playing with. So on top oh, yeah. of that kind of thing, with this game, you've also got flexibility within the character itself to go in different directions. So that, oh, that, yeah, that's an interesting way of... You have to a certain degree, but um, in certain ways you don't. So, for example, the Warlord, who Pete was playing at as, he has a ton of counters that represent you know, fighting units. Chris's character didn't like. I had didn't influence. have as many as many tokens. You had influence, which is kind of the game's way of telling you, you've got this many tokens that do this, and not very many of these tokens. So you really shouldn't be doing the thing that you haven't got enough resources to do. And also, everyone around the table has different ways they score points. You know, as I explained with the with the nomad, everyone has different benefits from doing different things will get them a different i said different too many times but different levels of victory points at the end on the first year you have a thing called the first year objective which is another way that the game really tries to get you into who these characters are and a a sort of a way of playing them that is going to get the best out of out of what they actually have to offer you i think there is a degree of flexibility but the game i think really wants you to play and explore these characters in a very specific way which considering the short sort of game length as in terms of only 12 steps i i felt was actually really beneficial and a smart and a smart move i'm, I'm really keen to play this again I, I think partly what pete was saying i'm a sucker for um, multiple map configurations I love that I genuinely love that mm -hmm. I love how tight mm -hmm. it is yeah. I like the fact that you don't have to have an extending table to play this on mm -hmm. uh, I like the fact that one player in the room the Sultan is actually controlled of the marketplace and I found myself leaning into that that role as the Murshid of haggling with Alex and saying look tell you what if you give me a good deal on that card I promise you I will use this card to help you if somebody <laughs> attacks you in the future and just wheeling and dealing around the table, as is the nature of my character, I really, really love that. And I think maybe actually it's quite a good thing that the minimum player is for player count is for. I wouldn't want to play this game regularly. Yeah, it's one yeah, of those nice things. True. A bit, a bit like Root. To be honest, I don't play Root weekly. The, the the tragedy of Root to some degree is to play Root well, you have to play it regularly. The issue is, I'm not ever really in a position where I can play Root regularly, and. Whereas, because we've got this kind of streamlined uh, game to some degree, and when I say streamlined, as you said, Sam, I'm not to say simplified. I'm actually saying there's a there's an elegance to it. You can quickly pick it up, go, cool, 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 cool. I'm in, I'm in. I like the fact that it's sat there, and once in a crescent moon, I can kind of sit down and play it. I would like to say a huge thank you to Dennis KL who uh, left us a lovely review on Apple Podcasts. The Great Britain version. Yes, thank you very much. Five stars. Title of it, Just a Lovely Podcast. I won't read the rest, just because it's it makes me feel all embarrassed and stuff to read it. Um, so thank you very much, Dennis. Uh, that is very, very kind of you. I'm blushing. It's not just the heat. Uh, you too, uh, listeners, uh, you can leave a lovely review. Uh, I think you can do that on... So you can do it on Apple Podcasts. That's cool. Uh, you can do it on... Uh, I don't know. I I imagine there's other places you can do it as well, but probably. But we really really love those. Uh, and but we really love those. Shut up, here. No, we did. No, we do really love those. Like it 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 does make us smile and smirk and yeah. have a little giggle. We really do we love one. those. And uh, the other thing you can do if you if you if you're going to take some time out of your day anyway, tell a friend. Say hello. Tell a friend. I listen to these four Burks uh, every two weeks talking about the things they like. Uh, and you too could do that. 
Um, sometimes friend. I talk about the things that I don't like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, no, sometimes Sam and Chris talk about the things they like, and I say why I don't like them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, that so, also happens. Yeah. It's a balancing act. It's yeah. a balancing act. So uh, you know, do you, that we would love that as well. Chris spent too much of his own time creating Spotify playlists based on tea that everyone should listen to. There's details in the yeah, show notes good. if you want to listen to those things. Please look at our Instagram feeds and Twitter feeds. We put a lot of effort into them and they're really pretty and have little videos up there and little trailers from some of the shows that you might have missed as well, which are easy to easy ways to kind of share with with friends, you know, just sharing those videos and those those little like one minute trailers are brilliant ways of kind of helping other people um, see what you love so much about the show. Uh, but I think that's about it. That's it. Yep. That's it. Let's go and have a go and have a nice go and have a nice lolly. That's it. Yeah, I'm gonna go and have. I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> before and, bed. I'm gonna go and have a solero <laughs> before yeah. bed. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh, I always have a nice lolly before bed. <laughs> There's something about that creamy fatty mixture of cooling milk. That really sends me on creamy fatty mixture to the land of nod. Yeah, don't work for walls. <laughs> well, that's what honestly. ice cream is. Oof. Goodbye, everyone. On that note. <laughs> <laughs>